0: Our scripture today is from Luke 10, verse 25 to 37.
1: The parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Go and do likewise. The word of God for the people of God. Be to God.
0: So, good morning, Flores Church. As Reverend Minor was saying, my name is Luigi Perez, and I'm a chaplain in the United States Air Force. And it is a privilege and an honor for me to be here with you this morning. Uh, my beautiful wife and my three children are also with me here today, but Ludwig, Ian, and Dominic, those are their names, are um, down, downstairs um, doing uh, Sunday school, Sunday school. Uh, They didn't want to hear Dad to speak for the second time, (laughs) and I understand that. Uh, It's going to be a real challenge, you know, I'm not used to preaching twice on a Sunday, so let's see if I can push it forward, right? So please pray for me, but you know, one of the things I want you to know is that this is not my first time here at Flores. I, I came back in the fall and I came back for Christmas Eve and uh, Christmas Eve Eve. That, that was the day I came. And uh, it is always a pleasure for me and my family to be here. Uh, our family loves to worship with you all. So hopefully you will see more of us in the near future because I'm being relieved from my duties soon. Um, by the way, don't worry. I'm not, I'm not getting fired. Uh, it's just that um, I am getting ready to go overseas for a whole year um, without my family. It's, on, it's an unaccompanied tour. And uh, so I'm a pastor of a service um, on base at Andrews. Uh, so I get to preach every Sunday and lead the people of God in worship. Um, so they are, part of the transition is that I will be stepping out of that role. And if that, if that happens, I will have more uh, time and opportunities with my family to come and be among you. So last year, uh, during the fall, uh, I came to thank the first service. And now I'm here to thank you for your generous support uh, to this church and the ministries of the church. And one of the ways that the church uh, give out to, you know, other um, ministries in the community and in the world is by supporting Wesley Theological Seminary. I am a student also at Wesley Theological Seminary. I'm uh, part of a doctoral program on uh, chaplaincy, military chaplaincy. And um, last fall, I met Reverend Minor and um, Bishop Berlin when they came to the seminary to present a very generous gift. And uh, so I'm, I'm I'm a recipient of that gift. And because of that, I want to say thank you. Thank you for allowing me to serve God and country outside of the gates of the local church. Uh, because let me tell you, this vocation that we call military chaplaincy is beautiful. And your gift is sharpening me in a way that will, is blessing many others. As a chaplain, I get to foster intentional community for younger folks Uh, many of them unchurched people uh, in their 18 and 19 years old who just got out of high school not not too long ago, less than a year ago, and they're facing life for the very first time now on their own. And I get to foster community. I get to provide spiritual guidance and support. I get to offer hope, encouragement, and the gifts of resiliency and spiritual readiness but I don't only spend time with, you know, the younger folks. I get to advise uh, our military leaders on matters of faith, diversity, and ethics. And, uh, and more, more importantly, I get to uh, guarantee the people's right to worship every single day. And I can do all of that, by the way, because of Christ who strengthens me, but also because of people like you who are investing in chaplains for them to be a resource to those who are serving our nation and the world. Again, thank you. So, in case you haven't noticed, I know it's hard to tell, I wasn't born in the United States. You can laugh, it's a joke. I got a better answer or response earlier today. Some of you will be like, right, it's shocking, right? No. Um, but I was born in Cuba. I was born in Cuba and uh, I came to the U.S. in 2008. And I moved, when I came to the U.S., I moved to the great state of Ohio and I began to serve churches there. So today I'm connected to Flores and you may think that it all happened That launch, but my connection to Flores goes way back to 2017 when I took a group from my home church in Ohio to come visit Cuba. And while we were there, we ran into a Flores United Methodist volunteers in mission team as well. That Sunday, we worshiped together, the same church, I preached. Somebody translated the sermon for me, uh, Megan, who leads worship in the 9 o'clock uh, worship service. She sang, I met beautiful people from your congregation, and I would have never imagined back then that I, would have been, that, that I was going to be here sharing with you today. What a wonderful gift. I'm thankful for God for such a fantastic opportunity. That's how we are connected, through Christ, through the Methodist Church, serving the world serving all. Again, thank you. The reason I'm telling you I'm Cuban is because, you know, as a foreigner, people have good good intentioned assumptions about me. People think I love hot spicy food, (laughs) which is not true. (laughs) I don't do well with that. I've had people coming to me asking for tips on how to make enchiladas. And I'm like, bro, I'm sorry. We cook at home, rice and beans every day. We don't know how to make enchiladas. And the most recent one was during the 2022 World Cup, um, soccer World Cup. And people said to me several times, you really enjoy soccer, don't you? And I was like, no, I'm from the Caribbean. We play baseball. I'm telling you all this because you, you may be thinking, this guy is all over the map over here, but uh, please stay, stay with me. This is all connected by the grace of God. <laughs> but I'm telling you this because Jesus engaged with people who wrestle with not so healthy assumptions. And you know, the Lord Jesus used a variety of methods to um, teach people. When we read the Gospels, we see Jesus using all kinds of uh, techniques. He used uh, hyperbole, he used repetition, visual illustrations, and even hands-on experiences to communicate the truth of God's kingdom to people. And one of the things Jesus did is that he told lots of stories. And usually those stories were parables. They were not historically factual stories, but they were very, very real stories because people could recognize their daily lives in those stories. I told you, I'm from Cuba. I love baseball. And before I get to the text this morning, I want to explain what parables are because it's going to change and I think it's going to have an impact on, on what I'm about to say. So... Parables, or the word parable in Spanish, the translation for that word, parable, is parabola. I'm sure you know what a parabola is. You may remember your math. I know it was probably a long time ago for many of you. It's all right, right? But when you see LeBron James playing basketball and shooting the ball, that trajectory, that curved trajectory the ball makes is a parabola. I told you, Cuban played baseball. Growing up, I play all kinds of positions and one of the, I even tried pitching, I wasn't very good I've got to be honest but I remember my am I speaking too fast? probably, no? Oh, cool um, because I preached super long in the first service, I don't want to do the same here for you I, I see the thumbs up <laughs> uh, so I remember my pitching coach uh, telling us, giving us tips on how to Throw the ball better. And he told us once, and I remember this, he says, you have to aim a little higher than the place where you want the ball to land. Why? It will always make a parabola. So if you are aiming for the chest of your catcher, you got to aim at his head. And that's what a parabola is, friends. It's a story that Jesus tells that the target of the story is your heart, but the aim is your mind. So I pray that this morning, the Lord will speak to your hearts as I speak to your intellects. Let us pray. Heavenly Lord, we give you thanks for the opportunity to be here in your house to worship. We are ready to listen to your voice as it is presented to us through the written word. Speak to us, your servants, for we are listening. May we be a fertile ground where the seed of your word is planted and it grows and gives fruit for your benefit, for your glory, and the benefit of your people. In the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. So back in 2017... I took my youngest son to speech therapy every Friday. And that was a practice that we observed for over a year. And I got to tell you, he really enjoyed going to see the language specialist. Our therapist was amazing. She was kind. She was very knowledgeable. And the best of all was that she made a real connection with my son, Dominic. I have no doubts that... Dominic really enjoyed the work Miss Mandy did with him. However, I also believe that he liked the mid morning Friday therapy session because after every session, he would ask my wife, my father, or myself to take him across the street so we could buy him a happy meal. And I remember this specific Friday after the therapy session, I took him for a Happy Meal. We went through the drive-thru, I placed the order, and I went to the pickup window to pay for and get the order, right? And the person on the other side of the window was handing me the order when I heard my son saying with lots of frustration, Dad, I said I wanted a Happy Meal. I didn't pay much attention to what my son was saying. By the way, that tells you how good of a father I am, right? <laughs> Yet, when I turned around to give him the food, I noticed that he was not a happy camper. And I thought to myself, hmm, this is interesting. The happy meal is not making him that happy. What, a, what an irony. So I turned back, gave him the, the food. And he said to me once again, Daddy, I said I wanted a Happy Meal. So with love and patience, I said, here is your Happy Meal, son. But he replied, that's not a Happy Meal. A Happy Meal doesn't come in a bag. A Happy Meal, a happy meal comes in a box. That day, the store didn't have boxes, so they gave me a Happy Meal in a little bag. And then I realized that his reaction was because of the packing. And I said, Dominic, just look inside, and you will find your Happy Meal. And he looked inside the bag, and after looking, he said to me, Dad, this is a Happy Meal, and the best of all is that I got my toy. The reason I'm sharing that is because, dear friends, that morning I learned something. That morning I learned learned that at times we are at risk of discarding blessings because they come to us wrapped differently. There are times when new and fruitful opportunities, there are times when meaningful relationships, great learning experiences, potential breakthroughs, you name it. There are so many experiences that are presented to us in unconventional ways and we need to be very, very careful and make sure that our immediate reaction is not one of dismissal. Because if we take the time to look inside the package instead of impulsively discounting it, we will realize how God is abundantly providing for each of our needs. And I do believe that the parable of the Good Samaritan is an excellent example of this principle. We could say that one of the messages that Jesus is conveying through this parable is this. Be careful, says Jesus. Be careful. Be careful and pay attention. You may be missing and dismissing your neighbor because he or she has been branded in a certain way. Be careful. Pay attention. You know, the truth is that there is a virus stigma. And this virus affects how we think about, how we feel about, how we see and respond to others. I got to tell you something. I do believe that there is good news. So I want to take a few moments to look at the layers of good news that we find in this parable that we call the Good Samaritan Parable. You know the story. Jesus was having conversations with with people when a lawyer approached him with a question. And the Bible says that he wanted to put Jesus to the test. So the lawyer asked, "What what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, not with a direct answer, but with another question. He said, what is written in the law and how do you interpret it? And it is at this moment, dear friends, that a reversal takes place. The person who was testing Jesus now becomes the one who is being tested. So, as a person who was being tested, the lawyer gave an answer that came straight from the law. And when you look at the text, you will realize that the lawyer is citing the book of Deuteronomy. And he gave the straight answer from the book. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. Indeed, the lawyer's answer was by the book, and he answered Jesus' question, what is written in the law? However, he didn't answer Jesus' second question, how do you interpret the law? Instead, in an attempt to regain his authority and perhaps regain control over the conversation, the, the lawyer threw back at Jesus the question concerning the interpretation of the law. So he asked one more question. He was a great lawyer, right? Lawyers are very good at asking questions. And he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Then Jesus told the very well-known parable. And i got to tell you this. When we hear about this parable, we usually emphasize the Good Samaritan as an example of discipleship. Through this text, we have been invited several times to be Good Samaritans in the world. And even though I agree with such an emphasis... I think the intent of the parable is of another nature. More than a call to be good Samaritans, I do believe the parable was told to help us recognize who is our neighbor. So, Jesus, in an attempt or answering the question, Who is my neighbor, tells a story. And he begins with a story saying, A man went down from Jerusalem. To Jericho. I told you, parables were not factual, historical stories, right? They were very real. So, Jesus placed this parable in a very familiar context. Most people in Jerusalem knew the dangers associated with traveling the Jerusalem-Jericho way. This road was arid, narrow, and desert-like conditions. Also, it was known that bandits targeted people traveling the 17-mile road that connected Jerusalem and Jericho. So when Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, his listeners surely recognized the dangers that this journey posed. It was a very familiar context. So this traveler, Jesus continues, this traveler was attacked. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked. They beat him and left him near death. Other versions of the story, different Bible versions, tell the story in a different way, and other versions say that the man was half dead. And I'm focusing on a different word choice. We could say that the man was half alive, right? And when I think about this specific moment in the story, I think of the many times we as individuals are beaten by circumstances. I think of the many times we as individuals are beaten by actions and the destructive words and attitudes of others and ourselves, right? And when I think of the half-dead or half-alive state of the traveler in Jesus' parable, I am reminded that there are times when we journey under similar conditions. We go through life being half alive spiritually and being half alive emotionally. Are you with me? I don't know if you've ever been there, but i got to tell you, half-alive moments are difficult to navigate. In a half-alive condition, there is a lack of Deep and meaningful connections, even when people are surrounding us. half a life people know firsthand that movement doesn't mean progress because they feel stuck despite several things happening in, in their lives. You know, half-alive comes with many, many, many symptoms. Some of them are dreary will, frail motivation, anemic hope, and collapsing joy. Half-alive is not a good state, dear friends. But here is the good news. It is, as it was with a half-alive traveler in Jesus' parable, so it is with us. When we are struggling with feelings of hopelessness and helplessness, we need to find comfort in this text. Because this text reminds us that help is on the way. It doesn't matter how badly you have been beaten, help is on the way yet you must remember that divine breakthroughs may come from a different direction than expected are you with me so it is at this point in the parable that jesus takes gives a different spin to the story the context will not be as familiar as it was at the beginning of the story The Lord will get creative. He will develop an unforeseen plot to drive his message home. So he tells this man that was half alive or half dead who had been beaten and stripped away from his clothes and laying on the ground. There he is and there comes a priest and there comes a Levite who were going down the same road But when they saw the injured man, they crossed over to the other side of the road and went on their way. And perhaps the people listening to the story for the very first time thought to themselves, Oh, I know what you're doing, Jesus. You're not going to talk about the elite. You're going to talk about the boy who is about to have his mitzvah. To be the hero of the story, he's going to be the one that will come to rescue this person. Or perhaps other people thought, Jesus, you you are going to talk about the widow who cannot sustain herself, who doesn't have enough resources. Still, she has a big heart and she will come to the rescue of this man. But Jesus does none of that. Instead, Jesus said, a Samaritan, a Samaritan who was on a journey, came to where the man was, but when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. And he bandaged his wounds. Then he placed the wooden man on his donkey, took him to an inn, and cared for him. A Samaritan. I'm sure that all those who were listening to the story were shocked. Because as most of you know, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. They had a mutual dislike and enmity. They mocked each other. And they despised and equally undermined one another. So in this environment of conflict and opposition, Jesus tells the story we are looking at today. In fact, Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan because he was speaking to Jewish people in Jewish territory. And I believe and I agree with many preachers who say that had Jesus been speaking to Samaritans, Jesus would have told the parable of the good Jew. But let me tell you this. This parable can have many titles in today's world. You know, the parable of the good Syrian right in the middle of the expansion of ISIS. Jesus would have addressed our nation with the parable of the good immigrant. The people, to people struggling with Muslims, Jesus would have told the parable of the good Muslim or whatever faith people may be struggling with. Here is the point, dear friends. Here is the point that I think sometimes gets lost because the story is so familiar that it's hard for us to see it clearly. What Jesus is trying to say is this. Neighbors... A neighbor is not just a romantic, philosophical, ethical principle. That's not what Jesus is saying here. For Jesus, neighbors are real and challenging persons with whom any possible relationship has to be painstakingly worked through. And with the parable, Jesus is helping us answer the question who is my neighbor? And such, such, such a question, dear friends, requires us to see beyond ourselves, our likes and dislikes, our definitions, presumptions, biases, and expectations. Seeing our neighbors requires us to understand and embrace that neighbors come to us with unfamiliar faces and sometimes even with repulsive labels. Things that we don't like. Things that we don't agree with. Things that we don't believe in. Are you with me? Jesus was asked the question, Who is my neighbor? However, Jesus didn't respond to the question, at least not directly. Jesus answered the question by asking another question, Who was a neighbor to the man who encountered the thieves? So why did Jesus ask this question? When I think about the question the lawyer asked, Who is my neighbor? The saying you can choose your neighbor, but you cannot choose your relatives comes to mind. Right? Because we get, with that, we say, well, I I was dealt a family difficult to embrace and deal with, right? So I better choose my neighbors. And with that, what we are saying is, we're going to surround myself with the people I like. And perhaps the lawyer wanted to choose his neighbor too. Perhaps he wanted to choose the person he liked, the person he had some affinity with, the person he thought to be on the right side. Yet, Jesus gave him an example where the neighbor was the extreme opposite of what the lawyer would have chosen. And I believe that with his answer, formulated in part, As a question, who was a neighbor? Jesus told the legal expert, don't go through life trying to find or identify your neighbor. Instead, go through life being a neighbor. And that's why at the very end, I do believe Jesus charged the lawyer with the words, go and do likewise. Be a neighbor. Think about this, don't try to find your neighbors, you already have them, just be a neighbor. Don't let anything become an obstacle in your relationship with those who look, act, and think differently than yours, than you. Be a neighbor. And that's what being a neighbor means, dear friends. It means attending to people despite their ethnicity, religion, preferences, and political views. Being a good neighbor means breaking off from the obsession of stereotyping others. It means giving up unhealthy, sometimes inherited social traditions of ill feelings toward certain people who look, act, and think differently. Being a good neighbor means recognizing that the people we have differences with and therefore we may demonize, not only deserve love, but they also have the capacity to love and do good. A few years ago, I watched the movie The Pianist. How many of you have watched the movie The Pianist? Good. It's a great movie, by the way. I think it's super long, too. Uh, but the pianist is this Polish Jewish person who is trying to survive in Nazi era. And he's doing all kinds of things. He, he sees all kinds of atrocities. And uh, throughout the movie, you get tired just by seeing him wrestle with life and trying to survive. Towards the end of the movie, This person finds a house that is abandoned. He stays there. There is no food. There is no heat. It's cold. He he doesn't have a a coat. He's merely surviving. He's, He's turning even yellowish in his skin. Jaundice, I think it's called, right? Because poor health. And one day, while he's on the house, a German officer enters the house. And fights him. He thought he was done. The Nazi just found me. This is over. What a great surprise to him. You know, the German officer realized that he was a pianist. Gifted musician. So he asked him to, t- to play the piano. And the guy who was almost starving, you know, to death, now is being served by this German officer. Who's being a neighbor. Who would have thought? This German officer brings him food and towards the end of the movie when the war is coming to a close, the German officer takes his coat off and, gave, and gives the coat to him. Also gives him a pair of shoes and in other words, dear friends, saves him. The guy that perhaps he would, he would have thought was about to exterminate him was the neighbor that saved him. I would say that today Jesus would have come to us and would tell us the story of the good Nazi or the good, the good German, let me put it that way, sorry. Or the good Russian. Because Jesus wants us to see the humanity, that there are people on the other side of the fence that we may not agree or whatever that have the capacity to love. So today, I want you to know that Jesus is telling us the story to remind us who is our neighbor. And if you want to find out who is your neighbor, I got to tell you this. Think about who your Samaritans are. Think about who makes your skin crawl. Think about the person you don't want to look in the eye. Think about the person you want to be to deprive of a friendly greeting. Think about the person you treat with some degree of decency, but you do it because it proves you are a better person. I don't know about you, but I have Samaritans in my life. I think we, to a certain degree, we all wrestle with Samaritans. And we need to know That they are our neighbors. And the call is to see their humanity. The call is to have compassion, show love, and provide care. But I want to finish my sermon with this. Two more minutes, I promise. Think about this. I want us all to see ourselves as the person beaten and left to die. You know, many of us have received a heavy baggage full of labels, presumptions, biases, and expectations. Such baggage has crushed us and and left us half dead. Yet Jesus Christ, the greatest Samaritan, has come to our rescue. We have been saved, taken to the inn. The church is our rehabilitating place where we are becoming whole again, so we can go out into the world to be neighbors, to find neighbors, to share the good news that we don't need to get rid of enemies. We just need to get rid of enmity with love, with passion, compassion, and care. People of God, this is God's word for all God people. Thanks be to God. Amen.